uh, Bruno and Jessica for receiving their very first district pastor's license. They didn't say, yeah. <laughs> um, my, Michael uh, got his renewal, his uh, fourth renewal, I think. Yeah, so our youth pastor. Um, and for those who are unfamiliar with what we do as a church, you know, I know that there's ways that somebody can get ordained online and, and do those things. But um, in our church, in our tradition, uh, we like, we, it's a, an evaluation process. If somebody really feels called to ministry, uh, first they get a license from the local church. And they've all done that through the church board here. Um, and I forgot when I, I talked earlier about that. And Lucas has his local license. I just now realized that when I looked out and saw him um, on his way to become a pastor as well. But uh, it starts with the local license and, you know, they go before the church board and answer some questions. The church board kind of examines, you know, are you called and let's talk about that. And uh, so it's a local license is the local church supporting. Uh, they're called a ministry and we're going to work them through that for the next year, uh, at least a year. And then after that, they uh, apply for a district license, and that's where pastors on a what we call a credentials board that uh, I'm a part of and several other pastors around our area are a part of. We all come together, and um, they are evaluated further by a group of pastors. And so that's a little bit uh, more stringent, I would say. And then after they hold that license for a time and complete some classes, they go and they get ordained. And then uh, that's the ultimate goal, I think. So it's not just a fly by night. Um, anybody who says, I want to be a pastor, if you want to be a pastor, great. We will walk you through that process. We want to make sure and determine, um, not determine, but help you examine and determine for yourselves that call of God on your life. And uh, so they've done that. It's, and it's fantastic. I'm very proud of them. Jessica and Bruno, if you see them, make sure you tell them congratulations for their very first um, district license. And then, uh, also wanted to talk a little bit about the floors. Somebody was asking me about the floors. I haven't said anything about that in a little while. February 14th um, is the installation date. So they're going to start putting those floors in on February 14th. Um, we set out to raise $54,000. We've raised $30,000. And uh, that's kind of where we're at. We're trying to raise that last little bit. We have asked the school to help us with some of that. So we'll see. Um, but want to let you know also that if... Uh, and we mentioned this before, what extra money we might have from uh, the funds that we raise. We're going to do some other uh, projects here in the sanctuary. So the floors and maybe some things to the walls, that kind of thing. But I just want to make sure that we have a great presentation um, here in the sanctuary room. And um, I want to tell you a little bit as I get ready to start the message today about what God is doing in me. Uh, for our church. And I really believe, I talked about this a little bit a couple of weeks ago whenever I had um, did a look back and pressing forward, kind of examining this last year. What happened? What did we do? What have we accomplished? How has God helped us? And then let's look at, at the next year and where he's going to take us. And I really firmly believe, this is another one of those, a couple of years ago, God said, hey, I just want you to focus on love. And I don't know if you remember that. We talked about love and his glory, and I mean, we, we sat there for a long time, like six months, I think. It was a long time. And he kind of gave me another open-ended, um, command is not the right word, but, you know, like an invitation to follow him in this, to partner with him, and, and talk to our church about what he wants for us. And I really believe that he is asking us to take a step deeper in our faith with him. 
And I'm not sure exactly what that looks like. Listen, we are a church that is, uh, we're, we're a church that's growing. We're coming out of COVID. We're, for this year, we want to re-engage with each other and with God. We want to um, group, we want our home groups to, to get solid, our Sunday school classes, our small group ministry. We want really to just have this time of re-engaging this year, but also growing deeper. And so what does that look like for us? What, what does God want for us? Um, as a church, we are a group of people who our primary mission is to, and you see it every day when you walk in, we want to love like Jesus so lives are changed. Well, what are those changed lives? How are people's lives being changed? How, how are we as a group and then as an organization effectively reaching people for Jesus so their lives are changed? And that's, that requires commitment and that requires involvement and that requires us to partner together to accomplish this mission. So uh, that's kind of why I'm starting where I'm starting today. Uh, with this, it, it's a series of messages called Not a Fan, based on a book called Not a Fan. And um, it's, I, I really like the idea of what we're going to talk about through this, because, um, man, God needs followers of his. He doesn't really, Jesus doesn't want fans. He wants followers. So um, let's start this way. How many of you have ever had a lemonade stand? Anybody ever do a lemonade stand? Anybody have kids who did a lemonade stand, Right? Your kids did a lemonade stand, and you're like, oh, look at my little entrepreneur. He's going to go out, or she's going to go out. They're going to make some money. I can still remember my very first lemonade stand. Uh, got the, my parents, man, they're just, they're saints, honestly, because they put up with so much. But um, I, I was after them, and they knew what I know. You know, who, who knows how far this thing's going to go? Probably not very far. So I uh, got the card table. You guys remember those square card tables? I don't really see those very much anymore, but we had a card table. Put that out on the sidewalk and um, got all the lemonade stuff together and out on the sidewalk. And it was blazing hot, middle of the summer. And I'm thinking, I'm going to rake it in, man. Those, everybody's going to love my lemonade. Um, so 50 cents a cup. I don't remember how. I didn't sell them. I drank more than I sold that day. Uh, for, for the lemonade. But who's, here's the question. Whose kid actually ends up going into the lemonade stand business? Like whose kid does that? I, I was thinking about that as I'm getting ready for this. Whose kid goes into that? You, you've seen them before though, right? You've seen like professional lemonade stands. Uh, people who sell lemonade. And, and maybe your son or your daughter have tried that. But there really are professional lemonade stands out there. So logic would dictate that some kids somewhere had the same idea I did. And they went out and they started a lemonade stand and it grew into some kind of business. You know, and then how does that work? Maybe he wanted to try it one hot Sunday afternoon and he got out and set some things out and other kids in his neighborhood were doing it. So he thought he'd get in. I don't know how it starts, but he thinks I can make a little on top of my allowance selling some lemonade. So he tries it out. He gets his mom or dad to help him out with a rickety little stand, hand-painted sign, which I did. You probably did too. Lemonade, 50 cents. And after one successful day, he tries it again. And then he tries it again and then again and then gets involved in his lemonade stand, gets asked to go to like a middle school baseball game. Goes to a middle school baseball game and ups his price. Oh, now we're at $2 
for a cup of lemonade. You know, this is whenever that starts to happen. Um, so, and then he begins to get more invitations to go to other places. Now he's starting to get really busy and he's taking his lemonade stand all over town and sure he's making a really nice profit, but now he finds himself having to like, get a lot busier. Things are a little more professional. It's taking up more time than he expected. He's got to make special orders on lemonade, or on lemons because he doesn't have uh, enough lemons. You know, he's got to make special orders and he's keeping track of all of his expenses on a spreadsheet. And what started out as a hobby has really turned into a consuming commitment. You see the picture I'm painting. And in that moment, you have to make a choice. Is this going to be some kind of career? Are we going to get into this? Are we going to hire some employees to share the load? I mean, what would you choose? <laughs> some of you are thinking, man, I wish that was my kid. <laughs> Others might be thinking, my, my kid doesn't even know what a spreadsheet is. Whatever, whatever you're thinking, you understand that for all of us, no matter if it's a lemonade stand or whatever it is, there comes a time in our life that you have to define the relationship. What is this? What am I doing? What's going on here? And these kind of moments aren't unique to the business world. These kind of moments happen to us at other times in our life. Maybe you guys all understand and have at one time had to define the relationship with somebody that you're with. Husband or wife now maybe or boyfriend or girlfriend. And that comes the day where you're going to have the talk. You know? You know the talk. The DTR talk. Define the relationship. What is this? Where is it going? What is this? I can remember Cerise uh, and I having that talk. Because we were just dating, you know? Like that's how it starts out. We're just dating. Like, and, and this was pre-Tinder days, so there was no swiping. We're just uh, out in the wild, you know? <laughs> like uh, who am I going to stumble upon that might be good enough to marry, you know? Um, but it's really, that's not what happened here. God brought us together. It was a glorious thing. <laughs> we have this, uh, this idea of, of somebody we're going to, we'd like to marry or, or, or we just want to date. So we're out dating. You guys were doing the same thing. You're dating this person, dating this person. Maybe you're dating several people at the same time, you know, but at, at some point that dating you have this conversation and you define the relationship. Am I just wasting my time here? Or is this going somewhere else? Is this a, some, something I can fully commit to? Or is this something I'm going to back off of? I can remember the day we were, we were talking and we were dating. And to be honest, I had, was dating some other girls too. I was, you know, like we weren't tied down. We hadn't had the DTR yet. And uh, I remember we, but I really, really liked Sarisa. But I'm keeping options open, but I really, really liked her. I didn't know if I loved her yet, but I really liked her. And so we looked at each other one day and, and we were like, we got to have this talk. You guys have been there. It's uncomfortable, right? I don't know where this talk's going. I know where I want it to go. What are we doing here? I said, like, are we dating or like, are you my girlfriend now? <laughs> and she was like, well. I don't know. I don't, and that was weird because we were like, I don't know. Do, well, I want you to be my, do we say girlfriend? Like, are we going steady? Like, what's the words that we use, you know? Like, I, I want, can we be exclusive here? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, all right, I'll cancel all my other dates. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, didn't, I was like, okay, that's right. We're going to be committed. 
And we decided then that we would be committed to each other. And here's the thing. I think that Jesus also calls us to sometimes define the relationship. What does that relationship look like? What are we doing with Jesus? What's, what's going on? What does Jesus want from us? And what do we want out of this relationship with him? I think Christ gave us an invitation, and we find that in Luke chapter 9. We're going to be using this verse because I think it clearly marks out what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. The relationship that Jesus calls us to is not one that is a flighty, I can have my options open, I have other people that I can date kind of relationship. He's calling us to a give entirely of myself, deny myself, take up my cross, and follow me. That's what Jesus is asking. As we get into the message today, by the way, if you want to follow along in the notes, you can go to the Get the Church's app, and in there, there's a section for the sermon notes. It's also in the Bible app. But let's talk a little bit about defining the relationship. I think some of you welcome this DTR talk because you're ready to move to a different level of commitment. You're ready to move past the casual, past the convenient, into something more dedicated, more devoted, more committed. You're ready for this talk. Some of you are not because you kind of like the setup you have with Jesus. I mean, Jesus is a nice guy. You like him pretty good. You like church. Gives you something to do on the weekend. It's awfully nice. You can come here and you can sip on some coffee at the coffee bar out in the lobby. Talk to your friends. Kind of like what's going on. The, the idea of a commitment, the idea of taking it to a different level, that gets you a little anxious. Maybe even causes you to think about fight or flight. You know, that response. But what we want to do is to define the relationship with Jesus. Where do you stand with him? How even do we define that? So here's where I'd like to ask that question. Are you a fan of Jesus? Or are you a follower of Jesus? Some of you may be asking why I would even ask that question today. I mean, we're all followers of Jesus, right? Like we're all here today. That's why we're here that's why we get together. That's why we do home group or small group or Sunday school. That's why we gather in church on Sunday morning because we're followers. I think we should listen to what is going to be laid out today before we jump to a conclusion. The word fan, think about this as a definition. The word fan is an enthusiastic admirer. The word fan, an enthusiastic admirer. And we're all fans of different things, right? I mean, we understand what it means to be. A lot of us are sports fans. We can equate it to that. I know I sure can. Sports fans. And, and some of us have favorite players and favorite teams. And we have jerseys of, of our favorite players and our favorite teams. A few years ago, it's been a few, quite a few years ago now, I had the privilege of going to a uh, Thanksgiving Day Cowboys game. I don't know if you've ever been to a Cowboys game on Thanksgiving Day, but those are glorious awesome. We went this year and it was, it was a great year to go to the Cowboys game. <laughs> I, sometimes I go and I think, uh, 
a little too country or too redneck maybe, but we took a turkey fryer and we fried a turkey out in the parking lot. It was awesome. We had a good time. Um, but I can remember this game. They were playing Miami. You might remember the game too. And it was a horrible game. Like they just, they just played horrible this Thanksgiving day. And they were playing Miami, you know, and they're playing in the, in the Jerry world over there. And it, it's like this, it wasn't cold. It was good weather. And, and we had great seats. And I'm watching, I'm like, man, this is a horrible game. Why do we watch this game? And, but it was actually one of the types of games that you really love watching because we won by a field goal in the last seconds of the game. You know, kick a field goal, won the game. Awesome. Like, just lifts you up. I remember that. Then we left and we talked about how bad they played. Tony Romo was quarterback, how bad he played, <laughs> how much better they could have played. I think all that happened, again, over this last week after the loss last Sunday. Um, really, I just, there's not enough uh, memes in the world to describe for all the Cowboys fans the heartbreak involved with being a Cowboys fan. But, you know, we understand that. We, we, we get what it means to be a fan. We love to root for a team and, and, and we're fans of them. My concern is this, that the church has the potential to very easily become a stadium full of fans of Jesus. But here's the deal. Jesus never cared to have a fan. He wasn't after fans. If you define fan as enthusiastic admirer, the fans just were not important to him. He just didn't care. You see, I think we have the tendency to come together once a week and just be a room full of fans of Jesus. I think that's what we do. We sit down and, in our seats and we open our programs. And when we, we did those, we don't have them as much after COVID, but we open our programs, we, we applaud at certain times, we, we leave somehow thinking as fans that all of that was done for me, oh, it was so good for me. We get in the car, we evaluate the sermon, the pastor did this bad, he did this good, and, and then we kind of give the service, select, the song selection a thumbs up or a thumbs down, we didn't like this song, oh, they didn't, we liked this, oh, we didn't like that. Like, you probably done it, I've done it. And then we come back again the next week to do it all over again. And some of us are big fans of Jesus. And being a fan feels pretty good. We can feel pretty good because we are great admirers of Jesus Christ. But the thing is, he never cared to have an admirer. That's not what he was after. So if we'll be honest with ourselves, if we'll really search our hearts, if we really will define the relationship that we have with Jesus, there's three questions that we need to answer. Here's how we can define the relationship. What kind of relationship do we have with him? Here's three questions. The first is this. Why are we here? Why are we here? If you read in the Gospels, you'll see that at different times in his ministry, Jesus would draw a line in the sand to separate his fans from his followers. And if you go into John chapter 6, uh, you'll see that happens in John chapter 6. Jesus in John chapter 6 is at the height of his ministry. Large crowds are following Jesus. He was very popular at this time. He was working miracles. He had just healed the official's son. You guys might remember that story. And, and the, uh, the guy by the pool of Bethesda, he had uh, just healed him. And a lot of people were beginning to follow Jesus. He, he, he had become, like everywhere he went, he was like a rock star. And people were following. And Jesus, Jesus, you know, they... They wanted to be around him. But in verse 2, he realizes why they're coming. 
In verse 2 he says, they're coming because of the miracles. That's the main reason the crowds were there. You, you know the feeding of the 5,000? You should read that story with different eyes. It's a, it's a crazy story. Like we marvel at Jesus feeding the 5,000. We marvel at the miracle of, of what happened. 5,000 plus women and children. And, and so who knows how many thousands and thousands of people it actually was that was fed that day through just a few small loaves and fish. At the end of that story, it says that they sought to make him their king by force. <laughs> they were such big fans of Jesus in that moment. They wanted to take him and make him their king by force. And why? Because look what he can do for us. This is all about me. This is awesome. Look what he can do for us. He can, he can feed us anytime we want. They didn't care as much about his teaching about the life change. They were there for the show. So that's the question to ask today. Why are you here? What is your because? Is it because you think the seats are comfortable? We got pretty comfortable seats. Do you really like the music? Is it because you get to see your friends and chit chat? Is it because your kids can make friends here easily? I think that that's great for a while. And honestly, as a church, we want that. We want comfortable seats. And we want small groups where people make friends. And we want a safe place for, for children and teens to, to be and to learn the gospel. We want that. But at some point, we have to define our relationship with Jesus and ask, why are we here? Because Jesus challenges us to a deeper, more committed and intimate relationship with him. And that's what he did in John chapter 6. And then in verse 66, it says, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Because when he defined the relationship and he said, Hey, this is what it means to follow. Some of them were like, Whoa, whoa, I don't want that. They turned back. It's too hard. A lot of them went away because Jesus said, Let's define what we've got here. So what do we want? I think this forces us to ask ourselves the question, what do we want? Do we need to define what we've got here? It, who is Jesus to us? As we define that relationship, do we see that we only have a casual Jesus relationship? Do we come for the show or for what Jesus can do? What do we want? Are we like the disciples who left Jesus? Because it wasn't just people who left Jesus. It says many of his disciples turned back. Right before that, verse 60, they say, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Why are you here? I mean, don't get me wrong. I want you here. And if you're watching online, I'm glad you're watching online. We, and we want you here. But why are you here? Because why? For Jesus, his because is he wants a close personal relationship with you. The next question is this. Are you all in? Are you all in? You know, being a follower of Jesus requires complete commitment. A follower will do whatever it takes to follow Jesus. They're absolutely loyal, completely committed. I think on the whole, as Americans, we don't do very well with complete commitment, do we? 
It's really hard to commit. I mean, I see it in my own life. We're going to commit to picking a date for vacation. Like, I don't know. Do we go this day? I can't decide. Ooh, do we? And then commit to a hotel. I don't know. Are we going to pick this one? Are we going to pick that? I don't know. Do we? Right? I don't know if you guys are the same. Some of you aren't. I envy you. (laughs) You're like, we're going this date and we're going this. And I'm, you know. I think that we prefer selective commitment. And I think as Christians, sometimes we do that with Jesus. We selectively commit to him. What I mean is, you might say, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm going to pick and choose the areas that I follow him. So I'll follow Jesus, but don't ask me to forgive that person. Don't you dare ask me. Listen, I have earned that resentment, that bitterness. Don't ask me to forgive that person. Hey, I'll follow Jesus. Just don't talk to me about my money. It's my money. I worked for that money. I follow Jesus, but. I follow Jesus, but don't ask me to abstain from these desires. I mean, I can't help it. I'm human. I got these desires. Don't ask me to abstain from them. I follow Jesus, but. Tell my kids, never tell me, I love you, but. It's a disclaimer of everything that you say after. I mean, everything you said before the word but doesn't matter. I love you, but. I'll follow you, but. Don't do that. So we have this customized Christianity. I'll follow Jesus in the areas that I feel comfortable to follow him. In the areas that I agree with. I'm a Christian, but I'm not really all in. But we just read that he asks us to be all in. Now, there's no easy way to say this, and I, don't, I just I can't sugarcoat it. If this is the case, you're just not a follower. This is just the truth. You're just a fan. And the problem with that is Jesus doesn't need fans. He doesn't ask us to follow him in the areas we want to follow him. He asks us to follow him in every area. This is hard. This is what God wants from us. There's no bargaining. There's no bartering. There's no finagling. You understand that word? When you decide to become a follower of Jesus, you have to go all in. Some of us are just not wild about having to make sacrifice or having to deny ourselves in anything or any area of our lives. But Jesus is asking us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow him. So that's the second thing. We need to to define the relationship. That's the... That's the next thing. Are you all in? Here's the third one, last one. Have you made it your own? Have you made this relationship your own? Many of us started going to church because our parents came to church. Parents made you. Dad said you need to go to church. There wasn't an option. Your mom said you got to go. Maybe you started coming because of a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse. You came because they liked it when you came. They liked it. You came because it appeased them. For those of us who grew up in church, 
or who attend church to appease a significant other, it can become really easy to be a fan. Really easy to be a fan. It's like riding in a car with somebody who listens to a specific kind of music that you're impartial to. They drive you somewhere. Maybe you get driven to work, carpool to work or school every day, right? And you're riding in the car and they're, they're fans of Aerosmith. I don't know. Like, I, I don't particularly care about Aerosmith one way or the other. Like, they're, they're fine. They're good. I take them or leave them. You know, no problem. If you like Aerosmith, glad. If you don't like, it's fine with me too. It's fine to, to listen to Aerosmith. Eventually, as you're riding in the car every day with this person who listens to Aerosmith, some songs begin to grow on you. And pretty soon, you don't want to miss a thing. <laughs> Did you get it? Pretty soon, you don't want to miss a thing. And you're humming along to that song. I don't want to miss a thing. You know, you're, you're, you're humming. And, and so you become a fan of Aerosmith. You understand how that works? What's happening here? That can happen to us in church. We keep coming to church to appease somebody else. We come to church to, to be with somebody else. And pretty soon we get into the flow of things. We begin to understand when's the right time to sit and when's the right time to stand and when's the right time to pray. And, and we know most of the songs and we even begin to recognize most of the stories or the teachings and we kind of become fans of Jesus. But really that's a dangerous situation to be in. If the faith is not your own, if you haven't chose to make a commitment to Jesus, if it's, if it's not your faith and it's the faith of whoever that you came with, you're just riding in the car on your way. You come week after week and you develop this, this faith. I'm not an air quote guy, but I don't know the better way to say it. It's It's, it's faith. Someone else is in the first place. And you're just numbing yourself to the real thing. You become comfortable with a few songs and, and a few verses, but none of it requires a, a personal commitment or change. And as a youth pastor, I, I dealt with this all the time. Students, teenagers, hear me say this. Make the relationship your own. Develop a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus isn't looking for a relationship between you and, and your mom or between you and your dad and him or between you and your wife and him or you and your girlfriend or boyfriend and him. He's looking for a relationship with you and with me. Maybe that's one of the reasons he said in, in Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, even his own life, Cannot be my disciple. This isn't about your mom or your dad or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your husband or your wife. This is about you and Jesus. And that's it. The band's going to come up and we're going to quietly have a time of prayer. I guess over the course of this series, the next several weeks, I just want you to ask yourself, am I a fan or am I a follower? And maybe right now, some of you are sitting there and you're, there's something twisting inside of you and you've never experienced that before. You don't even know what that is. It's the Holy Spirit working in you. 
doing something, calling you to this deeper walk. Like I said, I know this is hard. Some of you are here today and you're like, I don't even know that I've heard anything about a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you're watching. And that's okay. If you begin to feel that same stirring, it's the Holy Spirit. And he's working something in you. And, and we would probably call that conviction. He's trying to get you to draw closer to him. He's saying, will you commit fully to me? I don't need fans. I need followers. So if you guys would stand with me. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. But I want to give us a, I want to give us a moment to pray. And standing, honestly, makes it easier for us to move around. Because this morning as we close, if you would like to come and deal with the stirring that you feel in your heart right now, then I invite you to come to one of these altars here at the front. These, we call them an altar. It's a bench. It's a wooden bench. The special thing about it is not the wood or how it's built, but that it's a place that we designate to meet with Jesus. So if you want to do that this morning, then I just invite you to come. We're going to sing for just a few moments before I close in prayer. Give you an opportunity if you want to kneel down at your chair, kneel down at the altar. Just talk to God. Jesus, today, we want to commit to you. We don't want to be fans. We want to be followers. I can feel you drawing me to you. So God, help us to attend to that work of your spirit in our hearts right now.